0: Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, your host, and today we will be discussing what activism will look like after the coronavirus pandemic with senior financial journalist Jason Booth. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me. So Jason, what are activists telling you about how they currently view this pandemic and are they holding back from
1: launching campaigns? Well, it's certainly quieter than it has been in previous years. So they are holding back. We had 59 board demands so far this year versus 87 last year, which you give you a sense of just how things have quieted down. There's certainly a hesitancy out there. It's currently hard to run a campaign. Messages are being lost in the COVID pandemic story. And uh, there's just technical difficulties as well. I mean, it's very hard to actually go out and meet other shareholders uh, when you have restrictions on traveling nearly all the uh, annual meetings are being done virtually, which tends to make it a bit harder for an activist to get the message across. But that said, the campaigns that were already in the works, some of which date back from the end of last year, are going forward, usually with the belief that the problems that they're trying to address need to be addressed with or without the COVID pandemic, or maybe even more so. And less are actually settling, which is interesting, Currently, there are 40 unresolved campaigns regarding board seats taking place in the United States. That's actually up from 36 last year, which shows that they're just not being settled. Five of those have actually gone to a vote, in the United States at least, and that's up from just one this time of year last year. So then what kind of campaigns are still being launched or going to a vote? Most of them are smaller campaign of the campaigns that are actually still in progress. Three quarters of them are actually of companies with market cap under 500 million. The reasons for that are multiple. Um, one, smaller campaigns tend to be more aggressive and more personal. Often it's a direct dispute between a chairman and a major shareholder. Also, uh, smaller campaigns are actually cheaper usually less shareholders to reach out to. Under current circumstances, it's easier to do it. Another issue is, you know, most of the current campaigns are for board seats because balance sheet shareholder activism, such as getting dividends or buybacks, really aren't gaining much traction under the current situations. But what you're seeing a lot of management do is accusing the people who want board seats are actually looking for ways to take over a company at a discount price, which is something they're objecting to and seems to be possibly resonating with other shareholders.
0: So at the moment then, Jason, who
1: are the most prominent
0: activists?
1: Well, Starboard Value is once again the most active of the activists we've seen for the last several years. They currently have five campaigns going which is a slowdown from previous years. I mean, last this time last year they had ten campaigns going, but it's not too far off their average for this time of year. Of those, they've settled two, but have three ongoing. Two of which are likely to actually go to a vote. The most high-profile of is which is GCP Applied Technologies, which has been quite contested, and you've seen other activists jump in. We had a case there with 40 North, which was another GCP shareholder come in and criticize the management and actually throw their weight behind starboard. So that looks like it's very strong in the uh, dissident side, but we're also seeing a lot of kind of action among financial related companies. Saba Capital, which is a less known fund, has been very active targeting trusts, closed-end funds in the bond market, for example, and looking to get on the boards of trustees of these closed-end funds and trying to get them to liquidate or change their investment managers and the like.
0: And finally, what do you expect to happen when the pandemic is lifted? Do you think there is any evidence to suggest activism picks up
1: after a financial crisis? Well, yes, that that is typically what happens. You saw that last time after the 2008 crisis when you saw activists really going after companies because of their governance. There was a lot of poison pills in particular in place at that time, and those were targeted. That may not be quite the same this time around. The COVID-19 meltdown has really uh, kind of loosened up the logjam, you might say, and created a lot of new opportunities for activists to get into companies that they previously hadn't looked at or increase their stakes at existing portfolio companies. But the expectation this time around is not going to be so much about governance, but it's really, really about operational improvements there's a sense that the current downturn will really test companies and show you know, which management teams are really taking advantage of changes in technology to reduce costs, improve efficiency, and come out of this better than they went into it. And the companies that don't meet that test are likely to be targeted more aggressively by activists you know, you talk to across the board when it comes to activists and advisors, that is really what they're looking for, is they're looking for operational improvements that prove that management can, uh, you know, handle the task that's in front of them. The real question is how long is it going to take? Interestingly enough, you know, the Two of the most prominent activists, Elliott Management, the third point have been particularly bearish on sort of the prognosis for the market going forward. So, you know, they're looking at maybe the end of this year when you sort of start to see the economy and the market really stabilize. And at that point, you're likely to see. Activists come out and start to make their positions known and start to uh, agitate for improvements at companies, you know, setting us up for a, probably going to be a, quite an interesting and, and active 2021 proxy season.
0: The speed of the financial recovery, at least in stock markets, has surprised many observers. Here's what activist short sellers have been up to during the pandemic. According to activist Insight Shorts, 57 short campaigns have been launched globally so far this year, an increase of around 36% over the same period last year. In April alone, 19 campaigns were announced versus 11 in the same month last year. At this rate, 2020 will be the second consecutive year of rising short-selling activity after steady declines between 2015 and 2018 some expect more limited access to financing will cause the failure of companies whose business practices are dodgy. When funding markets tighten, that stress always exposes frauds. I expect there will be a number of frauds exposed as the 11-year bull market tide ebbs. Carson Block, the founder of Muddy Waters Capital, told activist Insight Shorts. Others have been pointing out unethical or fraudulent claims directly related to COVID-19 such as dubious testing or drug developments. But others worry that the market is still on the side of the balls and fundamental analysis is a dangerous guide to being short. Hindenburg researchers Nathan Anderson believes shorts based on fundamental calls are still somewhat difficult to make because the macro environment has been lifting or sinking most boats. Pershing Square Capital Management has had a good pandemic our profile explains how. Bill Ackman's winning streak has so far survived the COVID-19 outbreak. The billionaire activist fund manager, who concerned defence advisers once warned their clients would break through walls in the pursuit of change, had his best ever year in 2019 and is up 17% for the year as of April 30th. There is no rubble around the self-isolating Ackman these days. For almost three years he has eschewed direct confrontation with management teams, activist short-selling, and investing in anything but the highest quality businesses, preferring to sell rather than be at odds with management. More recently, Pershing Square invested in Warren Buffett's impregnable Berkshire Hathaway and plans to hold the position through its inevitable leadership change. The gains came from reinvesting the proceeds of a cleverly timed hedge into stocks as a recovery took hold. Credit default swaps against American and European debt cost $27 million, and returned $2.6 billion. That's an almost 100-fold return. Whitney Tilson, a long-standing friend of Ackman, a board member of the Pershing Square Foundation, called it the greatest trade of all time. Nonetheless, Pershing Square has yet to win back investors. Permanent capital may have saved the investor from closure by a spiral of redemptions, but the public fund trade at a 34% discount to net asset value up from 29% at the end of last year. Richard Webb, whose London-based hedge fund Matage Capital invested in Pershing Square Holdings last year, told Activist Insight Monthly, I think it's very surprising that Pershing Square is rated as badly as it is. We have to hope that situation is related to the market circumstances and we see the discount contract. Now for two stories that didn't make it into the magazine. Victory for Tegna in a proxy contest against Standard General at the end of April was in some ways the first test of proxy voting inclinations under the COVID-19 pandemic, although it was not the first activist campaign to come to a resolution. Earlier in the week, USA Technologies gave Hudson Executive Capital 8 of its 10 board seats. However, that result was long overdue, with the activist beginning its campaign in October and claiming as far back as January That it had the support of a majority of the shareholder base. The campaign had been heavily framed around takeover proposals Tegna had received starting in August last year. Even if the verdict from Institutional Shareholder Services, the ISS, recommending one of the activist four nominees, treated operational improvements largely as a holding strategy for the duration of the pandemic. It is dangerous to draw conclusions from one fight for the rest of the proxy season, and Standard General filed a series of complaints in the last days of the campaign against a rogue public relations firm and proxy voting advisor Glass-Lewis. However, the firm seemed to sense the mood when it said in a statement, the COVID-19 pandemic demands that we all unite to urge Tegna to put its focus on managing through this crisis and emerging from it with renewed strength and purpose, while calling for more clarity at the appropriate time. Amber Capital fought an exemplary proxy fight at a perfect target, but that was not enough at its May 5th encounter with Lagadère. An activist seeking a board majority is almost unfathomable in France, especially so at a storied company such as Lagadère. Dissidents' success of such magnitude would have been quite a feat. Of the 14 proxy contests launched by dissident shareholders between 2015 and 2019, only one led to board seats for the activist according to Activist Insight Online data. Loyek Desen, the CEO of local proxy advisor Proxinvest, has told Activist Insight Online that he has been raising concerns about the remuneration, partnership structure and related party transactions involving Arnaud Legadaire for the past 20 years, but nothing has changed. Proxinvest recommended investors support Amber's full slate, departing from international peers, institutional shareholder services as well as Glass-Lewis, which largely agreed with Amber's criticism but recommended for partial change. De Sen said, A complete refreshment of the board is needed to negotiate with Arnaud Lagodère, who is the only one who can scrap the partnership structure. We thought very carefully about launching the proxy contest and we felt it was an act of responsibility after the company announced the dividend payment this year whilst indicating lack of visibility on the future evolution of the core business. More than ever, our action is necessary, Amber founder Joseph Ogallian said, who led the proxy fight from home. In light of the pandemic, Lagardère initially reduced its dividend and then scrapped it altogether. Despite the loss, Ogallian indicated he will remain invested and might even increase it. That's all for this episode of the Activist Insight podcast. Recent episodes of the podcast have addressed the impact of COVID-19 on shareholder activism and activism in the energy sector. If you have a topic you'd like discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. You can also subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul.